Maintenant, voici l'hôte de Romantic Trousse, Josan. Juan Johnson here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas, and it is January the 14th, 2022. This month is getting away, folks, and I hope you're doing well. Well, we lost Sidney Poitier a few weeks back. Uh, I think it was a week and a half back or so. And, you know, want to uh, acknowledge and express uh, the loss of a great man. And the reason why I say this in particular is because growing up as a kid, he was the first black actor I saw on television that actually was the main star. Yeah, they had others like Stephen Fetchett and all of those, but those were more or less like uh, slapstick sideshow type uh, programs that had been recorded back in the 40s and 50s and 30s and was rehashed. So um, that was a devastating loss. All right, so the Grammys are put on indefinite hold. Golden Globes, I guess, they have decided to boycott in so many ways because of uh, the realization of uh, some of the discrimination going on with that. So we're kind of maturing and kind of evolving. Now, what I'm going to talk about today, ladies, brace yourself. This is about you, your fears. Now, I looked at an article and you could look it up. Uh, I think it was Women's Health, I believe. I could be wrong. I Googled it. And what it came down to was there were a few things that women were fearful of. Let's go through them. Poverty. Over being overweight. Emotional abandonment. These were the three main once. Oh, there were others being made a fool of, dying alone, being irrelevant, being cheated on. And the list goes on and on and on. And one of them was also not being loved. Now, here's the thing. It depends on what pertains to an individual. In other words, the fear has a congruency to a person's inferiority complex and low self-esteem. The closer it hits home, the larger the impact it is. That's the way it works. Now, let's think about a few things here. Let's start with the fear of poverty. Now, many men know that if you run across a woman who tells you about how hard it was for her growing up in the Old South or wherever, and he's listening to her, he knows good and well that more than likely she's going to try to use him for some sort of gain in the future, financially, economically. That's a given. That's going to happen. So, he makes a decision as to whether or not he's going to deal with that. This is one of the reasons why the guys who are trying to make it, the younger guys, 
they're passed over by these women in their same peer group to get with an older guy that's more established because these women do not want to face poverty again. You look at Anna Nicole Smith as an example. What you're looking at, folks, is this. People try to alienate themselves away from that fear as much as possible. Think about us with snakes. We don't want to be around them, and some people have them as pets. I told you about the date I had with the lady who had the snake in the house, and we were looking for it, and then all of a sudden she's under the sofa, and she pulls herself from under the sofa, and this big-ass snake is around her neck, and it's bitten her, and i got to figure out a way to get the snake off of her. It was no fun. But what happens is we get to a point where we fear things and sometimes when we fear them they make us react in different ways that we really shouldn't even though they hit close to home but let's go through this list the fear of emotional abandonment is one of the top priorities for women as far as fears they're afraid of being left alone going through the cycle of being a wife, being a girlfriend, and then being abandoned emotionally. Husband's not there. Husband's not kissing her. Husband's not giving her that, that, that reconfirmation of who she is. He's not reaffirming her femininity, her desirability. And therefore, it comes into question. That's the reason why so many of these women that I used to meet would come out and, you know, be dressed to the nines. And they'll say, you know, hey, I haven't dressed up in six or seven months. And it feels good. And the interesting thing was, a lot of these women tried this in front of their husbands. It didn't work. And so what they decided to do was to dress themselves up and go out and get that positive reinforcement from men. A lot of the women tried to get it from me. And I would tell them straight up, hey, I appreciate what you've done. I mean, you're very attractive, but it wouldn't really apply from me because you're married or because you have a boyfriend. It would mean more to you coming from him than it would me. And they would think about it for a moment and say, yeah, you're right. But the problem is, a lot of times the women would lower their how could I best say it? Lower their um, appreciation of his opinion. That's what they would do. His opinion is irrelevant now because I'm the only thing that's relevant as far as I see it. And that's the way they would view it. Now, there are a couple of other things that goes on here as well that we need to talk about. When it comes down to this particular thing, when a woman's emotionally abandoned, this is a lot of times the trigger for her to start looking for an emotional relationship with someone else. And the reason why I bring this up is because 99% of the married and committed women that used to come my way would always be triggered by that. I would hear that 24-7. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't listen to me. He doesn't care what I do. I could be missing for three days and he wouldn't care. Oh, I've heard it all. 
I remember one lady I was out with one night. Well, I didn't go out with her, but she came over to my table and we started talking. And she was like a deflated balloon. And she told me that night, she says, after we had talked for about two hours, she said, you know, judging from what I've heard from you so far, if I were single, I would be in your bed tonight. And I'm like, I didn't say anything magical. She said, no, you listened to me. And you gave me feedback. And then she went on to tell me how she had this Victoria's Secret underwear on and she had shaved her vagina and everything for her husband. And her husband totally ignored her. Didn't want to have nothing to do with it. Thought that she was part of the furniture in the house. And she was so let down. We still had fun. We danced. We talked and everything. But nothing intimate. I didn't do anything inappropriate to her. And I never forget the end of that night. Walked her to her car. And told her to go back home and try to work things out with her husband. She gave me a kiss on the cheek. Said thank you. I don't know whether or not her marriage ever worked out or not. Never heard from her again. But I can tell you one thing for sure. If I was a dog, well, I could have changed the world that night. Very easy to do. Because they're an emotional, in emotional, vulnerable state at that time. And I didn't want to take advantage of it, but there were a lot of other guys that did. There were guys that just went on and slept with the woman and did all kinds of things with her. And it was satisfactory as they saw it. It was okay as they saw it. They didn't see a problem with it. Now, here's the thing for me. If I'm with someone, if I'm dating someone, I'm with them, it's a total commitment for me to them. I'm not interested in anybody else. When it comes down to that woman, I'm with her. One thing I will tell every woman that I've ever dated, I've told I told her, if you bend over in front of me, <laughs> and we're in the house and you're wearing something short, that's a mating call. So you might want to turn around and take a look, because my ex-wife used to always get in trouble with that. And she'd be in the kitchen and say, oh, damn, let me turn around. <laughs> but that was just a thing. But outside of that, let's get back. What it comes down to, ladies, is this. The fear of being overweight is another one. Because you're afraid the men are not going to look at you. Your man's not going to want you. Look, a real man, a good man, knows damn well that you're not going to be wearing the same size for the rest of your life. He knows this. But they try to throw that carrot out there to justify that gap that they have in a relationship so they can cheat. And everything's okay. That's what that's about. Now, there's another aspect of this that I want to cover as well. Besides that gap 
of that cheating that they have at their advantage. I want you to think about one more thing that they have that comes up. They always have a way of criticizing and lowering your self-esteem to make you not want to ask for things anymore. I got the beautiful high school cheerleader that I wanted as my wife. Now that I have her, we have three kids together and she's blown up. She's not as attractive as she used to be. And what I'm ready to do now is to figure out a way to lower her self-esteem where she won't demand what she had demanded when we first got together so I could spend more money on another woman that I would feel as though is deemed worthy of it based on her physical attributes. This is the way guys think sometimes. Emotionally immature like hell. Yes, they are. Now, here's the other thing, though, you have to consider. Ladies, your biggest threat when it comes to weight are other women talking about your weight. Family members. Your girlfriends. Because they're real good as far as telling you you're fat, you're fat, you need to lose weight, etc., etc. They're telling you this crap for one thing. To make themselves feel better than you. I'll make myself feel better than you by tearing you down. Women are very competitive when it comes down to the physical attributes. They love doing that. Now, here's the thing. If a man told a woman she was fat or had a fat ass or whatever, it'd be disrespectful. And he'd get ridiculed by other women and probably by the other men in society looking at him saying something like that. Let's go on though. Other fears. The fear of being a fool. Now, this is something that normally happens. What does this mean? Simply put, this woman will be so carried away by this guy. And remember in my other video yesterday, I talked about, I mean, my other uh, podcast yesterday, I talked about how women will go and put a guy through heaven's half acre who's really doing the right thing by her, but a guy that is not doing shit, that really doesn't care whether she lives today or die tomorrow, she'll give him the red carpet treatment. This is synonymous with the woman who will go and have the narrative in her head about the guy that she wants. And the reality of who he is is right there in her face, but she's going to ignore it for the fantasy that she's created for him. That situation about the TMI that I was talking about yesterday. She ignores all of those warning signs, those red flags in order to try to go for what she wants and that's the guy and a good narrative to go behind it because he's handsome he's maybe he have money whatever and with this she doesn't care about his flaws at least until it really makes a difference for her so they go through all of this and then last minute the guy says you know what I think I'd rather be with uh, another woman. She would be taken aback. And then she'll probably even try to counter with, well, why don't you be with both of us? Because the thing is, she's so vested in him 
that she doesn't want to lose him. She will be his fool, but she could also have a best friend, male best friend, that has been paying her with the rent, helping her with the rent, helping her with the car payment, helping her everywhere along life's path that a husband should or a boyfriend should, but she's still reaching for that fantasy. And this is how women get in trouble in relationships constantly. They're reaching for something that they don't have. This is how men bait women into situations like that. Because as long as you're reaching for something, the guy's going to constantly throw a carrot out there for you to reach for it. And the whole thing comes down to that guy that ain't shit that hadn't had to do anything for her, that she's supporting so adamantly, she's going to keep doing it. Because she doesn't want to fail, first of all. Secondly, she likes him to a fault. Really loves him to a fault. And you can love someone to a fault. That means that you love them beyond loving yourself. Which means that it started out with you not loving yourself in the first place to put that much energy in someone else. Oops. Did I step on the toe? Now, other fears. The fear of dying alone. Now, I saw this fear firsthand. When my mother was in a nursing home, when she had a board and care, I saw it. These women had outlived their husbands. Kids wouldn't come to see them anymore. Kids were blowing the money that they sold the house for. Then they'd mess around and wouldn't have enough money to bury their own mother with. Or else it'll be a situation. Mama would have all the kids around her that come to see her in the nursing home. And yet, when they left, it was like she'd wonder, will I ever see them again? Meaning that she didn't know whether she was going to live long enough to see them the next visit. And folks, that's the way it goes when they're in those facilities. It's like, I hate to say it, but in many ways it's like watching somebody die slowly. Even though you're going to see them and you're taking them out and you're going carrying them different places to the beauty parlor, out to dinner, all of these things. You're buying clothes from them in the store. You're doing all these things for them. Trying to make them an active participant in life they still have to go back to that facility. Not that the facility is bad, but they know that what that usually leads to. As for myself, I might wind up in one of those facilities within the next 15 years, who knows? I've been contemplating probably moving to a country where they legalized euthanasia just in case I get too messed up uh, through medicine or whatever or being sick through any kind of illness 
Or they could just go, give me an injection, and I'm dead. I know it sounds kind of morbid, but you think about how much money it costs just to sustain life when you're on life support. It's not easy and it's not cheap. But what I'm saying, folks, though, overall, to get off that morbid topic, (laughs) it comes down to how you treat people. That's what it comes down to. Parents worry about being good parents. Mothers worry about being good mothers. Well, the truth will be in the pudding based on how you treat it after you're older. My mother and I made it a pact early on because we were both younger than my father. My father was 65 years older than me, and he was 43 years older than my mother. And what we told each other was, we're going to take care of each other. And we both were going to take care of my dad. That wasn't a problem. But when it came down to each other, because we knew that we would both outlive my father, that we were going to work it out where until I became an adult, she was taking care of me. When I became an adult at 18, then we would reverse the roles. I told her that what I would do is give her a few interim years where if she wanted to go out, baby date again get married again you know after dad's passed away then that's okay you know or whatever she would choose to do I would support her and then after that then I would come in and take over the administrative part of her life so she wouldn't have to worry about and she can go and just be her be a kid again we agreed to that and that's what we stuck by worked out great it was really funny to see my mother in her 60s and 70s reverting back to childhood not worrying about a thing anymore with that vibrant personality that comedy and seeing that liveliness because she did a damn good job with the kid. And I respected that. How you treat people early on in life will determine how you treat it in the end. And you also have to watch the perception of the way other people think someone else should be treated. I was with a lady that I dated a while back, years ago, and her mother had passed away. Well, what had happened, the mother's sister, my girlfriend's aunt at the time, didn't think my girlfriend's mother deserved a funeral. Instead, just a burial. And they went in, they were looking at the caskets. And the aunt chose this 
wooden casket. It was really the cheapest thing they had. And my girl said, no, she's going to be buried in a rose-colored casket as she wanted. First thing she said, well, why are you throwing all that money in the ground? And she told her because she worked for every dime of it and she deserved to have it spent on her any way she would choose. Well, this started a family feud. We didn't think much of it at the time until the day of the funeral. During the eulogy, the aunt's side of the family got up there and they they talked about this woman in such a derogatory way it was not funny. They brought up some of the things that this woman had done in the past, compromising things that were embarrassing. Just to get even. My girlfriend's side of the family didn't take too kindly to that. And it was almost rock'em sock'em robots in that place. The ushers that came in and separated the people. I had to keep my girl from going over there and messing somebody up. It got really bad. What had happened was this. My girlfriend's mother had worked on a job for 40 years. Made a hell of a lot of money in her retirement. Invested her money wisely. And she had a pretty little good nest egg. A little bit over a million dollars. Everybody else in the family had this idea that you're supposed to help everybody else in the family if you made it. She refused to believe that because they had the same opportunity. In fact, the aunt had a better opportunity than the young lady's mother. The aunt went to an Ivy League school, dropped out, got pregnant by a guy, came back to their hometown, and just watched the paint dry. While my girlfriend's mother went on to state college, graduated, and went on and did her time working. So it was a sense of entitlement that the family thought. Well, my girl finally uh, got everything paid up, got the insurance paid and everything. I mean, not the insurance, but the funeral paid for it through the insurance. So after all this is done, she and her brother split the money that was left, the assets and everything. And believe it or not, the aunt, her cousins, and everybody else they could tried to lawyer up and sue her. They were nowhere in the will, nowhere mentioned not once. And it was a family mess. Folks, I'm telling you, that fear of dying alone is real. And this means that contingency planning, the way you treat people in the beginning, will lead to how you're treated in the end. And you really need to think about that. These are just a few of the fears that we've hit on that women definitely have to consider. There are many others, but we'll talk more in a minute.
All right, another fear of women, aging. Now, women will do anything in order to stay attractive, to stay young, stay beautiful, stay vibrant, because many of them feel as though that is their currency when it comes down to being with a good man or a new man or a more attractive man. Now, that's not always the case, but it sounds good on the surface, more of an incentive. Well, you look at it. I forget how many years they say that a woman actually spends trying to beautify herself to stay younger. But it's a good percentage of her lifestyle. I think it was something, I mean lifetime, I think it was something like one-third of her life is spent in that endeavor in some kind of way. Now, think about it for a moment. That's a hell of a lot of time. As men, we don't spend that kind of time doing that. Now, when it comes to making money or trying to earn money and trying to support a family, yeah, we'll definitely do it. But here's the thing you have to understand too, ladies. When a man tells you that he's trying to support the family and he's putting that on you like he's like you should be guilty that he's working to support the family, he's not happy. Oops. He isn't. Hi everyone, Johnson with you here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas, and uh, we're just going to look at a few stats from the show because Gloria wanted me to show some of the stats from the show to give an idea of what she's listening to. Well, Gloria, on August 3rd, our best rated show so far on the podcast has been Penis Size and Vaginal Perceptions. That's been the leading show on this podcast. And um, that dealt with uh, the perceptions of penis size. Because men have always thought that they had to have a big penis in order to satisfy a woman. Now, to some degree that is true. However, for the most part, women manage to work with what they have. And they do a pretty good job with it. So, you just can't go by that particularly and a lot of guys do they think that the only thing they have to do is just be big but if they don't know how to use it women will attest to the fact that size does not matter if you don't know what you're doing with the tool you have that's the way it goes all right now demographically let's look at what our listening platforms are the leading platform that we have is podcast addict and i want to thank all the people on podcast addict you're 23% of the listening audience. Then followed by Anchor, of course, 18% of the listening audience. Those of you on web browsers are following that demographic at around 13% or so. Then after that, CastBox. We really appreciate you guys over at CastBox. And other platforms as well. Now, um, Apple is coming in dead last for some reason as far as uh, demographics for the show. So we hope that you Apple listeners will listen to us on Apple Podcast as well. Now when it comes down to devices, let's look at what we have here. 
of course, Android at 45% of our listeners, and iPhone listeners are at 29%, and Windows device listeners, including uh, the Windows operating system, is 9%. And actually, other people are listening at 18% on different platforms other than those. So those people on Linux, uh, Unix-based systems, really appreciate you. Or if you're listening on some other platforms, such as BlackBerry, really appreciate you. So all of you, big hug, big hug, big hug, big time. Now let's look at the gender breakdown. Demographically, we have 52% of our listeners are female. 29% of our listeners are male. 18% of our listeners are non-binary. And 2%, I'm sorry, Yes, 2% are non-binary, and, I mean, 18% are non-binary, excuse me, and 2% are non-specified. Now, this is vital, and this is very important, because after all, you guys make the show. That's right. Now, our demographics is a little bit different here, and we'll start with our Largest demographic from 35 to 44, which is approximately 35% of our listening audience. Appreciate you folks. Many of you at, in this age range are in relationships and usually contemplating whether or not you should stay, whether or not it's worth it. Others of you are trying to make things work at this juncture in your life because you're at a point where the kids are coming on to be almost 18, and some of you have gotten in relationships where you're thinking, okay, now, the kids are around 18, they're almost grown, should I still stay even though I'm not happy? And that's where a lot of you may find yourselves. Now, the demographic from 45 to 59 is the second largest demographic at 30%. This group of people have made decisions to either to have been divorced, widowed for the most part, or people who have stayed out of the party too long. In other words, they stayed out on the dating scene too long and now they're looking at not dying alone. Now, this is not always the case. There's some of you in this group that are actually still married and you're trying to figure out how do I still go forward with what I have, but there's a high percentage of you in this group that are divorced, for sure. Now, the next demographic is 15%, and that is the group that is from, let's see here, that is from 24, no, I'm sorry, yeah, that is from 24 to 35. I believe that that's the next demographic. Now, that group of individuals is it around 13% of the listening audience. No, 15% of the listening audience. This group of individuals, it, they're usually at a point of making a decision about getting married, 
they're listening to more dating advice, they are concerned about making sure they select the right person, they're looking at career, is it time, should I have children, should I not, what would be the best alternative. This is where people are, they're at a point in life where now they're making some life-altering decisions that will carry on for a very long time in their existence, and they just want to make sure they make the right choice. Makes sense. All right, now, let's look at the other demographic at 9%. That's the people 59 and older, 60 plus. Now, these folks have been divorced. In most cases, they outlived their spouse, or they may be that grandparent, especially women, who have uh, outlived their husbands. In some cases, they are still married, but usually these people are ready to start a new life. And the problem that many of them have in this category is they're running into the problem of establishing their independence from their family. They want grandmom to babysit, grandmother doesn't have a life, grandmother needs to, you know, come to grips with the fact that she shouldn't wear a miniskirt, grandmother needs to go and just sit at home, but granny is ready to go and have her black back blown out. That's what she's, that's what she is, but a lot of times, family members look at her as being property. Okay, you had your fun, you had us, you now have grandkids, so therefore you're obligated to be grandma. So water yourself down. Take care of your womanly needs privately, but as far as we see it, we come first. And it's hard to make that balance because some of you are juggling it. And you write in about this in particular. You're having a problem with conveying to your family that, hey, I'm your grandmother, true enough. I'm your mother, true enough. However, I have my needs, too. I have a life. I need to live the best years of my life now because I don't have that many left. And that's the way that goes. All right, now, 18 to 22 is a demographic of 4%, which is the next one. Now, this demographic is where I even extended to 18 to 25. This is the demographic I'm concerned about with the most. And unfortunately, it is, unfortunately, the least number of people listening. One of the least numbers. Because this is where you're going to make most of the mistakes in your life between 18 and 25. Now, why is this? is based on accidents, is based on things that you probably put together when you were a teenager and you're gonna try it as a young adult. Now, remember, a lot of you come up with these things, uh, these ideas, when you're teenagers and adolescents and you really haven't thought things through too well. So at 18, usually you feel as though you're grown, so therefore, you're gonna go out there and you're gonna try what you thought of when you were 15, 16, or 17. And you get out there and you do it and then you find out that it's not such a wise idea. Now, the interesting thing is, 
it used to be where men were prone more so than women to make mistakes at this age. No, now women are catching up because a lot of these girls are getting pregnant within this window without getting their education. And a lot of them are winding up in really bad shape. Now, the sad thing about it, that demographic is sliding downward, not upward for females. Now, another demographic that is picked up from zero to 17, we're still dealing with that, and that's at around 2% of our listening audience. Now, even though this show is for 18 and over, we have eavesdroppers that listen in, and that's okay. Because the thing is, is that it's language and subject matter is the reason why we run a disclaimer. We're not trying to gross you out and make you sick. We just say things on a, on a different level to let you know that, hey, we need to get our message across to you. So in this demographic in particular is the demographic that we try to catch people before they make the mistakes. And what do I mean by this? Pregnancy, for, for instance. See, permissive parents, unfortunately, have allowed their young daughters, 13, 14-year-old daughters, to get pregnant by 20-some-odd-year-old men. We don't talk about this, but we see it on social media with these baby showers. And when people ask questions about, well, where is the file? None of your business. And then uh, occasionally you'll hear the girls flip up and say, well, yeah, he's 20-something years old. And this person's a child, a teenager. It's not normalized. Not normalized at all. It's absurd. And that's why we need to keep it as being absurd. When that becomes the norm, you're going to have a problem socially. Now, true enough, each is own. Everybody can go in their own direction and do whatever the hell they want. This is America. I understand this. But here's the thing you have to understand. This is going to have an impact on you, even as a parent. Because guess what's going to happen? Of course, you're going to love that child. You're going to love your child, your grandbaby. But what's going to happen also is it's going to put a burden on you. Because if that child ever decides, your child ever decides to become irresponsible at any point, that kid is going to depend on you, on you because that, that responsibility doesn't go away just because the child doesn't want the child anymore, or the child wants to pursue another man, or the child wants to just take the child and use it as a pawn against the father for not getting along in the relationship. These are things that you may be involved in as a parent, and you may not realize it. One of the things that I look at on this show, I look at the correlation between the mistakes we made and the point in life where we are when we make those mistakes. Now, why do I focus on the negative? A lot of people ask. Because, let me tell you, in order to enhance the positive, you have to acknowledge the negative. You learn from the negative in order to increase your, increase your probability for positive results. That's the way it works. You know, in the African-American community, a lot of times, I will quote statistics or have statistics on my Facebook page or Instagram page. 
people get upset with me. Oh, why are you bringing up that? You know, you're making us look bad. I've heard that before. No, it's not about making you look bad. It's about showing you we need to improve. And therefore, if you know where you are, you can always do better. If you're a team and you're getting your ass kicked throughout the season and you only have maybe three or four more games before the playoffs, you're going to try to win every one of those games so that you have a spot in the playoff, even if it's a wild card spot. So why try to hide your record and just become mediocre? But see what happens, and I hate to say this, socially, many of us have accepted mediocrity. And the reason being is because we look at the way we're treated by our government and by us socially. We're placated like children. It's like they put a pacifier in our mouth. The only thing we have to do is just yell loud enough and society puts the pacifier in. This is not just for minorities, this is for almost every group. Only thing you gotta do is say you feel underrepresented. Only thing you have to do is feel as though you've been left out. Only thing you have to do is feel as though you're being ostracized or persecuted. All of a sudden, you become party number one. It just happens that way. Now, is that a good thing? Used to be. Not anymore. Because, see, now everybody pushes the panic button about their particular cause. And then what happens when you do that too many times? People don't take you seriously. And this is exactly what has happened. People quit taking individuals seriously. Now, we're going to talk about a few more other things based on these demographics in the next segment. Now, picking up where we left off, let's look at the demographic between, we'll say 0 to 17, which is a very low demographic for this show, right? And let's look at a higher demographic for people in their 30s that listen to the show. A lot of the people that have listened to the show in their 30s can readily relate to teenage pregnancy. There are many women, and you've written in about this in particular, who have had children at an early age. Whether it was by choice, sometimes by unfortunately rape, and unfortunately, some of you had children by incest. This is the way it goes. This is our society. This is that ugly side of society that we don't like dealing with or talking about. Because we mask it. And so what happens? You're in your 30s now. You have a child. And some of you actually had decent relationships. But the problem was the person was not age appropriate. And in some cases they were age appropriate. It depends. But the thing is, you know you had the child too soon in your life when you were not prepared to take care of the child. You had barely got to a point where you were educated enough 
to even barely know how to read. At 13, 12, 14, 15, having children. And you had these children, and it was a struggle. It was tough. Some of you had to drop out of school. Some of you had to become cashiers in different places like Walmart and stay there for 20 years, 30 years in order to support your child. Some of you had abusive boyfriends. Others of you were lucky enough to get married, at least to give it a shot where he respected you and you respected him. Some of you, things worked out successfully, but if you had to do it over again, you would have waited a little bit longer, got your education, and maybe had a little bit more stable life. But more than likely, your cases are very rare. The majority of people that wind up in this situation where they go into responsibilities too soon, they wind up impoverished. A lot of them wind up where they never get out of the place that they initially start. That's just the way it is. They don't grow as well. So, it's not uncommon for many of these women in their 30s who had children when they were 14, 15, 13 years of age. When those kids become 18 and they're in their 30s, the parents are, the mother especially, she may look at that 18-year-old daughter as a peer. Because what that means then is that she can readily identify with the teenager. It'll be harder to identify with the 35-year-old. Why is this? Because her growth has been stunted to a degree. Her growth has been put in a situation where she doesn't feel as though she has to grow up. Now, growing up to a teenager with a child is just getting a job. It's paying bills, the normal things that people do in life. But what is looked upon, the perception is it's a major accomplishment. That's the reason why you hear these women in their 40s and 50s as grandmothers, some of them in their 30s as grandmothers, believe it or not, that will say, I made sacrifices, I had to pay bills, I had to work all these time all this time I had to work hard. Well, what they don't realize is that most people who grow up in a more conventional environment have to do the same thing. So it's no special achievement or accomplishment. But for someone in this category, it is. Because the mindset is different. And so you hear them talk about how they had to struggle and they had to suffer, et cetera, et cetera. And then you sit back and you say, okay, wait a minute now. Yeah, but that's something that people normally do every day. Go to work and pay, pay, pay for whatever bills that they acquired. But the reason why they're complaining, for the most part, is because they never had a chance to fully appreciate the opportunity to go and 
better themselves so that they could be in a better position to have a child in order to better support them and not struggle. So it comes down to them shooting themselves in the foot very early in life because of the lack of critical thinking skills that will make them appreciate things way down the line in life. I remember back in the 90s, I was running into, this is no exaggeration, 38, 39-year-old grandmothers. Yes. These women were turning around children. They got pregnant early in their life cycle, and they had 15, 16-year-old daughters. And that was considered old, that had children. And I'm sitting there, and then they were complaining about, well, you know, I won't be able to do this or do that because my daughter's got a baby, and I got to help babysit while she goes to work. And then I'd ask them, well, how long is this going to be? And, of course, they would say, what do you mean? I said, well, okay, um, do you have some kind of plan outside of the babysitting as how it's going to be arranged? Well, you know, she, she's working now seven days a week, so I'm going to be busy from time, this time to that time. And what would happen? These women would literally sacrifice their time once again after sacrificing their time when they were younger to devote to that grandchild. Now, they become very defensive about the grandbaby. But the grandbaby's not the problem. The problem is, it was the daughter's decision to get pregnant, just like it was the grandmother's decision to get pregnant and have that daughter when she wasn't ready. See, it all comes down to when people are not ready and feeling, you know, you hear it all the time, well, yeah, don't, you don't have to worry about it, you know, whatever you feel, take off the condom, et cetera, et cetera. All of that's well and good because of one thing. People have been socially conditioned to be mediocre. And that's the way it is. In many ways, our social system condones it. Yes, it does. Because here's the thing. If they were really serious about cleaning that system up, they would have training programs. They would have child parenting classes. They would go and proactively have child development courses and all these things implemented so that these kids would know, okay, if you're accepting public assistance, you're going to go in this program where you and the father are going to learn about parenting. And not only that, we're going to put you in a program that are going to give you life skills and skill sets so that you can go and out, get out there in the workplace so that by the time you finish this program in five years, you'll be able to do it. Now, during that period, the government can cover you for all of your expenses and everything. But after that period, once you get your career started and you come out of this program, you're on your own federal government takes their hands off you, you make a living for yourself with your family and your kid. Now, if they did that, what that means is that you would have people going up that conveyor belt of capitalism like they're supposed to. See, the way the concept of capitalism was supposed to work 
is that you go up a conveyor belt of success. You start out entry level, you go all the way up to the top, you retire, you fall off the end of the conveyor belt. Sometimes you have an economic turmoil or setback, that package will tumble down the conveyor belt to a certain point and then they'll go back up. That's the way it was supposed to function. But see what has happened over the years. There have been so many opportunities for graft, for people to make money throughout the system. They have created institutions of mediocrity. The prison system is one. The other one is the child support system. Now you have all of these agencies, ad items and everything else that are put into the mix so that it's more of a franchise now and it becomes a means in order for the state to make money. Now, here's the interesting thing. Many of these problems can be resolved with these parents if they had an intermediary to work with them on a plan. See, a lot of these people wind up having families out of desperation, out of convenience. See, what people fail to realize, in certain communities, they don't have cable. So their entertainment is sex. That becomes the entertainment. That makes them feel good. They get high, they get drunk, they fuck. You hear it in the music all the time. That's all they talk about. If you listen to some of the hip-hop and some of the drill music, what are they talking about? They're talking about real-life situations for the most part where somebody's getting killed or somebody's walking up on bodies and getting this girl because they outdid the other guy. And then what you have is a snapshot of where these people are. And you look at these kids just graduating from high school. Because what happens, especially in minority communities, but in all, all communities, but mainly minorities communities, you see this in large proportion, where they are sidetracked by the shiny metal objects. Trying to be a rapper, trying to be a football player, basketball player trying to get rich quick. While a lot of these other folks just do it the conventional way. And then therefore, a lot of excuses are given such as white privilege. Now, here's the thing that we have to realize about this. There is such a thing as white privilege, but it doesn't necessarily mean because you're white doesn't mean because you're light-skinned. See, a lot of people want to make that assumption because it makes them feel better to come up with a stereotype and just put everybody under that same veil. What it comes down to, because even in mainstream, quote-unquote, white society, as some people call it, you have to look at the fact that a lot of those folks discriminate against each other. You have people on the East Coast that would never talk to someone in the South. Just the way it is. 
People have their own preferences and prejudices, which meaning that doesn't matter whether they're white or not, they're not getting into their circle of friends. They're not going to have the same opportunity. They're actually filtered out just like black people or Hispanic or anyone else's is. So it depends on when you're talking about that. What it makes it seem like is if, you know, there's this conspiracy of white folks that are against blacks. Now, does racism exist? Most definitely. But you got to remember, racism is now in the hearts and minds of people. It used to be in the hearts and minds of people along with the legislation and the laws. Now, in some aspects of it, it still is. And the reason being, more of that is on a state level. The federal government is constantly trying to go and straighten out some of this mess. Because they made laws that were unjust, for sure. And when they talk about institutional racism, what they're talking about is the legislation, the racist legislation, that was applied from the federal government on down. And those things need to be changed. But it's going to take time. And the reason why it's going to take time, because you have people who are curators of that same mindset still in office. Many of those people in their 80s, 70s, damn near 90s, have been in too long. And we have a gap, because the younger people that we have, the Gen Zs, they were never cultivated by the moderates. So you're going to have that gap. So what we're going to have is whiplash, political whiplash pretty soon. And we're going to see that. Now what does this mean with the Gen Z population coming in? That means that we're going to have a lower birth rate because these kids are wiser. This is the first generation that grew up totally connected to the internet. That also means that these individuals are going to come in with a different perspective. They're more sensitive to global warming and everything else that's going on with the planet. They're not so quick to fight, which means that America is eventually going to take a weaker stance globally and force, force ourselves more to work more diplomatically with nations. See, the old guard of, you know, World War II fervor that we used to have, it's going to go by the wayside. Because, see, we have to remember, it took a lot of effort for us to get the confidence to fight in World War II. It wasn't just something that we were just badasses from day one. You know, after World War I, we were not in that great a shape militarily, by no stretch. And I'll tell you something else. If it was not for the Allies in World War I and World War II, we wouldn't have been victorious because we did not have everything that was needed. There was bloodshed on many beaches in Omaha, Utah, Iwo Jima, and different places. And true enough, American, Australian, and other entities had to contribute and had to sacrifice for that to take place. Had that not been so, 
casualties would have been much higher in the U.S. And we would have had more and more issues. Now, what else has changed? We look at the last few conflicts we've had. Desert Shield was the last full victory we had. Everything else, it looked as if we cut and ran. And this is no slight against our veterans. I'm a veteran myself. But what has happened is politicians have chose badly when it came down to going to war. Had Kennedy stayed in, we would have never gone into Vietnam the way we did. He knew better. He knew what we were getting into there. LBJ, unfortunately, was lied to by McNamara. Bush was lied to by Rumsfeld. Weapons of mass destruction. We never did see, did we? Going to Iraq. So what has happened now, we have this reputation of cutting and running. And so this means that the European Union because there'll be other nations to test us. Russia, China. And we have to prepare ourselves because there's going to be some changes globally. By 2040, China will have the leading economy in the world. They're outpacing us with military development. So... We've got to prepare ourselves to wind up like the UK did when the United States came into power. It's going to be a tough road ahead. There are going to be a lot of changes. And we're going to have to adapt to those changes. And understand also that peace may be the best alternative for all of us going forward. More in a moment, folks. Hi, everyone. Johnson with you here. Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Now, let's take a look at single motherhood in the United States. Now, according to Statista, there's about 7 million single white females that are mothers, head of household, in America. There are 4.2 million African-American single mothers, head of household, in the United States. Now, this statistic was pulled in 2020. Now, the interesting thing to understand, though, is this. In both 
communities because we, for some reason in America, like to separate everything out by race. I think it's stupid because <laughs> through it all, as a nation, uh, very few countries are just going to say, well, you know, we're only going to attack the blacks or we're only going to attack the whites. They don't care. Now, here's the thing. You see this discrepancy. So what this would tell you is that even though this is a small segment of the population, it has potential of impacting in great ways. Now, how is that? By the simple fact that depending on the way these young men and young women are reared, also depends on the ages of the parents. Because you can only teach what you know, right? It gets to a point where you have to learn together. We see this a lot when a girl has a child at 13. By the time, time she's 36 and that child is 13, they're sitting down together and guess what they're doing? They're probably learning at the same level. Because see, don't forget, mom had to quit school and wind up going to work to take care of the child. She's fortunate if she could continue school. And so you're dealing with that reality. Now, there's another aspect of this that we have to look at as well when it comes down to what this child's life is going to be like. Now, these mothers have these children, but they have them in different types of situations. Now, some of them are independent women, which is a small minority that could actually afford them. Basically, they'll have the child, but they'll also have the career, and they can still make it. Now, what we don't understand and don't know is how many of these women are divorced, who were married, who were divorced and are getting child support, and how many of them were never married and are not getting child support. We don't also know how many of them are of a certain age group, which is vital. It's very important. But here's the thing we have to also realize. When we're dealing with children, they have to be cultivated. They have to be reared. And you have to look at what would that mother have to expose that child to? What does she have as far as her own knowledge? own experience is going to be very limited which means that the child may have a very limited scope in the beginning and they will be relied upon in order to educate the mom at some point we see it done all the time the kid that goes and takes algebra classes and goes on to calculus and trig mom stopped at basic math and mom is actually learning from their kid it's not uncommon for that to happen. Now, what does this have to do with the main scheme when it comes down to dating and relationships? Let me bring it home to you. What happens is this. That man that you meet, ladies, 
He's assessing these things. I'm going to tell you something that a friend of mine told me years ago. He said he met a lady one time. They went out. He really liked her. He noticed that she didn't really have the great grammatical skills. And he forgave her for that because she was attractive. And then he met her daughter. Her daughter at the time was 15 years old. Her daughter was going to school and was functionally illiterate. She couldn't do mathematics. She was still counting on her fingers, talking about one, take away two, that kind of thing. She was still using the term takeaway. And he talked to the young lady about working with her, getting her into a tutorial situation where she could learn a little bit better and more effectively. Well, the mother became very defensive and said, no, she's doing fine. She's doing just what I did. Now, he realized that the mother had voluntarily stunted her growth because hers was stunted. But what it came down to and what what he learned was that it was a situation where this young lady was treating her daughter the way she treated herself. back when she had that child. In other words, she didn't want her daughter to outdo her, but to fit in with her. There are some parents who will do this. Yeah, they want their kid to be mediocre like they are, not to be better, because there's a sense of envy. Sadly, there are people that are like that. I remember my parents told me to be far better than they were. And they were very good parents, very good examples and role models for me. But I started to look at things and then I realized, and I told my mother this before she passed away and my father, even though I have more opportunities and will probably go farther than you have when it comes to career, the quality of life you guys will have over me I can't match and what they couldn't understand was and I don't think it resonated until later on they could work for a company during that era for 20 to 30 years retire with a full pension and be taken care of from cradle to the grave I didn't have that luxury going forward so I had to be more versatile in my skill sets, in my career choices. I had to diversify and have more than one career to focus on so that I would always be marketable. I had to also have a global component in my career selection so that just in case things got worse in the United States, I could make it elsewhere and not just be that one hit wonder because things change so rapidly. Now, a lot of people are threatened by globalization. Initially, I was too. 
But I had to come to realize one thing. Transnational corporations were the motivation behind globalization, not governments. The governments liked the way things were, where everything was separate. But these corporations started sourcing in different countries and they wanted protection and they needed intercommunication and with the internet, what more could you ask for? And it worked out great. It was challenging at first for sure. So now we can have relationships in different countries with different people, different parts of the country if we want. Couldn't do that many years ago. I mean, you could write. And take God knows how long the letter would take to get there. I remember writing my girlfriends overseas years ago. And boy, I'd have shoeboxes full of letters. Writing them back and writing me. Wanting to see them, them coming to see me. And it was expensive as hell. Phone calls. Oh my gosh. Did they make money? LCI, NCI, uh, MCI, sorry, uh, GTE, all those old companies that used to be around back in the day, Pacific Bell, all those old companies, long gone. So now with technology, things are moving on a little bit faster. And a lot of people are intimidated by it. You have some people that have been married so long that now that they're out on the dating scene, especially those in their 40s and 50s, 60s especially, they look at going online to date as being desperate. No. (laughs) That's the new normal. Meeting somebody face-to-face is difficult now. And it should be, for several reasons. One, you have COVID out there, and you don't know who the hell you're meeting. You don't know anything about their status. So at least on a dating site, you'll see some indication that they've been vaccinated or something of that sort. And that helps protect you, makes you a little bit eased when it comes to thinking about something like that. But here's the thing. These children are now people that are going to be in the progressive party. These children are now the people that are going to shape our future. See, the old guard is going out, the people that want to keep America separated, and those folks are fading out. And they're not replicating in the numbers they used to. They just don't have the numbers. Just like you don't have the numbers for black separatists, you don't have the numbers for white separatists. They're both minorities on both extremes. So what's going to eventually happen, the moderate, I'm going to take over these moderate, they're progressives now, but they're going to slack up and be moderates pretty soon. And the reason for that is because in every generation of progressives, whether they're conservative progressives or liberal progressives, they always seem to dial it back after they get in power. Because they realize they could blow it if they go too far. 
So what does this mean for us? If you're in your 20s, you will have more of a participatory stance. If you're in your teens, you'll know how to plan for the future. If you're in your 30s, you'll have an idea as to what you need to do to prepare for your future in retirement. If you're in your 40s, you can make some real-time choices on the best avenue for you going forward towards retirement. If you're in your 50s, you can just start finding comfort in the change that's about to take place. And if you're in your 60s, do you really care? Because right now, no matter what, you've already lived through the turbulence that could have shaken you to the core. So in each generation, there's a different concern going forward. And this is our future. COVID's going to be our friend for a very long time. We have to face it. So we're going to have to navigate around this necessary evil. And this is our new normal. And this is what we have to face. Take care, folks. And thank you once again for listening. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.